Hey friends, I love a good story, especially when it's a God story. And I love to hear how God takes ordinary women and does extraordinary things in, for, and through them. I'm your host, Jody Caracosta, ministry leader at Somebody Cares America International, author and traveler on this journey of faith. And I've got a story that will equip, inspire, and encourage you in your walk with the Lord. So welcome. I'm so glad you tuned in. Have you heard about our Her God Story podcast clubs? It's an easy way to gather together a few friends, neighbors, or colleagues to talk and encourage one another in your journey with the Lord. It's very simple. Listen to the same episode, download our prepared podcast questions from hergodstory.org, and then discuss over favorite your favorite refreshments. And it's a great way to reach out to friends who don't know Christ yet. Include them in the conversation and see what God will do. Listening to an episode takes less time than reading most books, and we think you'll have a lot of takers. So gather some friends and try it out. When you do, email us at prayer at somebodycares.org to let us know so we can be praying for you. Now, in our last episode, we heard how Laura Allred chose to say yes whenever God spoke to her and what an amazing journey that began. But there's more to her story. The Apostle Peter in 1 Peter 1.7, I think it's the NIV version, says trials or testings come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Those who love the Lord will be refined, purified, so that we bring glory and honor to Jesus. It's not a very fun process, but for those who've gone through some refining, they are very grateful on the other side. And Laura, she can attest to this. Laura is a dynamic minister, evangelist, and prayer warrior. She currently serves as the young adult pastor at Trinity Church in Dallas, Texas, and is a wife and devoted mom to her beautiful daughter. Welcome back, Laura. Thank you for having me. It's so good to be back. When the Back to Life walk was over, you went home and the euphoria euphoria of its completion started to fade. I mean, that was two years of an adrenaline rush. For sure. Um, But you were still faced with the unfulfilled desire for a child. You know, your story reminds me a bit of Elijah after his confrontation and victory over the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel in 1 Kings chapter 18, he then had a crisis of faith. And you faced something similar in your life. What happened? Yeah, so I, you know, have been, as we talked about in the last episode, saying yes to the Lord over and over and put that dream on hold. And I started to look back at my life and the accumulative disappointments started to really weigh on me and add pressure to my heart. Um, You know, my dad's, my father's passing away to a brain tumor, um, waiting really, really long to get married, you know, in my thirties, you know, although I wanted to be married years before getting married and being sick, like all of those things. And then infertility, I started looking at my journey and I'm like, wow, Lord, I, I've been through some things and I'm really tired. And the question that kept coming up in my head was the same lie that the serpent said to Eve in the garden when she said, oh no, we're not supposed to eat from that. And it was basically, well, are you sure that's what God said? Are you sure he really means that? Are you sure? Are he... Is he holding out on you? Does he really have your best interest at heart? And I began to grapple with that question because up until that point, 
Um, my ministry life had been so blessed. I had, you know, favor with that. I was, it felt as if, as long as I was doing something for the Lord, that was blessed. But my personal life was always going to be on the struggle bus. Things were going to come really difficult. Like it's nothing was going to come easy. It was all going to be really hard. And I really started to wrestle with, okay, Lord, like, where are you in this? And do you really have my best interest at heart? And I couldn't wholeheartedly say, I believe that he did. I felt like he would bless my ministry. But what about Lara's personal desires? What about my my personal needs and why is it so hard? Um, and so I started really wrestling that out with the Lord and it, um, it wasn't pretty, but you know, at the same time we're ready, you know, Gabe and I, okay, let's keep trying. So we're going back to doctors and, you know, just, yeah, it was a very, very dark season. So then you come to the conclusion that, all right, you know, maybe, maybe God doesn't have a natural child for me. Maybe he has adoption for us because adoption is a beautiful thing. I mean, you wrestled around with that. You you came to the place where you're willing to adopt. And then you got a remarkable phone call right after that uh, that took you and Gabriel on the path to adoption. Um, share about that journey and what God showed you through it. Wow. So that was, that was really wild. We, we love adoption. Again, in the pro-life movement, I think adoption is a huge part of that. And so I... We, we began after a lot of heart searching. Okay, like, let's pursue that. Let's talk about it. As soon as the words came out of our mouth, it was actually the very next day I got a Facebook message from one of the girls that I led to the Lord in the second grade, who is still a pastor's wife down in the Houston area. And there was a baby that was going to be born within the next two weeks. And the birth mom had already placed a previous baby for adoption. And she was like, I I just don't think I can take care of this baby. And I need a family. You know, do you know anyone? And right away I'm like, uh, in two weeks, like I just said that yesterday, Lord, like, are you kidding me? Like that was so fast. And so immediately we, um, called, got a private adoption attorney and asked all the questions like what, how does this work? If there's a baby that's going to be here, you know, we, we don't have the time to do like the home studies and the adoption agencies and all that. So like, what does this look like? He said, it's totally doable in Texas. No problem. Here are your parameters. Here's the thing you can do. Here's what you can't do. And so it was about a week after we heard about this baby being available for adoption. We actually tried to find other couples to adopt this baby. And the pastor's wife said, yeah, we're working on this into, we'll let you know about it. You know, let's just, we'll keep in touch. So several days go by and I just kept thinking about this baby. And I was like, okay, Lord, well, if she's, is it was going to be a girl, if she's still available, you know, um, by Monday, we'll, we'll really strongly consider it. Oh, no, no. I said, if she's available by Sunday, we'll strongly consider it. So it's Sunday, um, the third Sunday in June, and it's the day right before Martin Luther King Day. And I'm sitting, you know, in our church that we've been in for our whole married lives. And my heart just keeps thinking about this baby. And um, I'm like, well, there's other couples that are interested. And, you know, so we'll see. So I get a, a text from one of my spiritual daughters who knew that I had been longing for a baby for now almost five years, four years now. And she said, I'm praying for your baby right now for your future baby. God has something for you. Within 10 seconds from that, I get another text message from the pastor's wife saying, hey, yeah, she's still available. 
are you interested? While all of this is happening, you have to just imagine me, you know, on the front row of our seat, up on the screens in our church, they're playing a memorial video to Martin Luther King and his famous, I have a dream that one day white and black will sit together, you know, and I just began to weep because this was an African-American baby. I'm Latina. Gabriel is Caucasian. And so I'm like, what a beautiful picture this would be. And I just began to weep thinking, oh my goodness, she's available. So I, I said to Gabe, she's, she's still available. And he took a big breath and was like, okay, let's move forward. So we just start seeking counsel and we start calling families that have adopted. We have a good friend of ours who's adopted like five children through private adoption and he's giving us counsel. They have an adoption agency and we're so excited. So I make an initial call to this woman and I was on a Sunday night and I said, um, you know, here we're interested. Um, I, here are some parameters. We can't give you money, but we can pay your electric bill you know, we can buy you groceries. And um, I said, if, if you would like, we'll, we'll drive down to Houston to meet you tomorrow on Monday. And she said, I would, I would like that very much. So Gabe and I are like, oh my goodness, we're driving down to Houston from Dallas to Houston. We're driving down the same road, 250 miles that I had just walked up the year before to pray for the ending of abortion. We're driving down to meet this minority baby who would typically otherwise have been aborted. We're just seeing God kisses all over this and the timing all over this. We're just like, oh my goodness, you do have our best interest at heart. You're writing this story and look how this is so beautiful. Like, you know, especially from the pro-life movement stance, like how beautiful is this going to be? So we, we drive down there. We're nervous wreck. We sit in the pastor's office for about an hour and a half with this birth mom who's just her big old belly you know, and, and we're talking to her, telling her about our lives. You're telling her about how much we long to be parents and that we are going to just take care of this baby and she will be blessed and not want for anything and, you know, just be raised in such a loving family. And we just had a pretty good connection with her. And she said, well, let me, let me pray about it. Let me pray on it. And I'll let you know tomorrow. And so so we're like, of course, absolutely, you know, take your time, you know, because there were other, another family that was she was talking to. And so we're trying to, be, you know, you know, keep hopeful, but not get too attached. And, you know, it's just a, just a really wild emotional journey. And the very next day she called us, this was now on a, on a Tuesday. And this was on the 40th anniversary of Roe v. Wade that she calls. And there's a scripture in Isaiah, it's 818 that says, I and my children will be for signs and wonders. And, you know, that's a big, uh, the adoption movement, that's a big part of what we believe is like, God wants to bless these children. And so it's, she calls me on the anniversary of Ruby Wade and said, I want you to have this baby, to adopt this baby. Like, you know, will you, and I'm just like, yes, we will. And we're just like, what a God story. Like, this is so beautiful. And this is on the anniversary. And we're just like, this baby's going to be a sign and a wonder. And we're going to tell this story all over the world and how beautiful, you know, just, oh, God is so good. And so we're just so excited. We come tell our spiritual family, you know, our, we had just a small, tiny two-door Mini Cooper Sport. You couldn't put a car seat in the backseat of it. It was so tiny. So my pastor's wife gave us her Nissan Pathfinder so we could have a family car. 
we go to Christ for the Nations and they just take up this enormous offering to help us with adoption costs. Our guest room is flooded with baby clothes. And what I've learned about the spirit of adoption, the Bible talks about the spirit of adoption. So when you say yes to adopt a baby, it's it was like that like she just belonged to us. It was like, you know, yes, this birth mom was carrying her, but like that was our that was our baby. It was as if I had carried her in my own womb. And so, you know, we're going down this journey in two weeks' time, wrestling around, getting a nursery together, like just all the all the things. And um she starts asking the birth mom, you know, starts kind of asking for money, which I'm like, well, hey, we can't do that, but here's a gift card, you know, and and we kind of go continue and it began began to be um like it felt like almost like a hostage negotiation because she started changing her mind. And so I was, you know, trying to just be very open and kind and, you know, yes, well, the, you know, what can we do to help you? What can we do to reassure you? You know, we're, we have everything ready. You know, you gave us your yes. The paperwork is, is processing. And she just, um, you know, I, I, I changed her text tone to her number that when her text came in, it sounded different than the other. So I would know like it's an important text message. So every time the text would come in, um, I would, you know, jump and then, you know, okay, like trying to word, you know, word it the right way that would put her at ease. But the whole time I'm like, oh my goodness, she she's not going to back out on this, is she? So she went silent for like four or five days after the baby's due date. And I am a nervous wreck. I can't sleep. We can't eat. We're just like a hot mess. And after several days of silence, she just sends this, I hear the text tone and it was the whistle one, you know, (laughs) that one. (laughs) I hear that text tone come in and I jumped and I opened my text message and it was a picture of this beautiful baby. And she said, she's here. She's just been born. And Gabriel and I are like, like, like our breath is taken away. And we're like, oh my goodness. I, my, my sister-in-law was a midwife at the time. And she had all of her new moms um, that had frozen colostrum and breast milk, you know, donate all this breast milk for me. And so we, we jumped in the, in the car and we drove down to Houston to the hospital she was at. And we arrived and we waited in the hospital room for in the hospital waiting room for 12 hours with this cooler of breast milk and balloons and my family and my best friend waiting to meet this, this beautiful baby. And um, we, because of HIPAA laws, the many different deaths, like I can't give you any information. You know, I'm talking to her on the phone, the, the birth mom, she's in the, in the hospital and she's like, you know, talking to the nurses saying, yes, okay, no, thank you. I'm, I feel fine. And then she's, you know, talking with me on the phone and she's like, I'm really, I wish you hadn't come. I'm really uncomfortable that you came. And then she just went radio silent. And so we're in the hospital room. I mean, the hospital waiting room, I'm sorry, for, for 12 hours, Jody. for 12 hours we're waiting. And at the end of the day, the lady at the front desk says, I think you should just come back tomorrow when the social security office and social workers office is open. And we're like, okay, we'll do that. So we stayed at some pastor's friend's house close by. And the next morning we're up bright and early. We couldn't, we didn't sleep a wink. You know, we went to the hospital again, everything in tow, car seat in the back of our car. And we sat in the the hospital lobby and um, the social worker called Gabriel. So we went to the social worker's office and we gave her the details. She was like, let me look at this and I'll, I'll give you a call. We'll just go wait in the office. So in the lobby. So we waited in the lobby 
the social worker called Gabriel and he's on the phone. All I hear is, mm-hmm. yes. And he gave the birth mom's name and well, here's my name. And, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm like, what, you know, what, what's happening? And he grabbed my hand and he just said, come on, Laura, it's over. She's gone. And the social worker had said to him on the phone, I don't know how to tell you this, Mr. Allred, that, that I'm so sorry. But she said that that baby was placed for adoption a week ago with another family. And um, the whole while the birth mom had been playing two parties and had been asking us to give her money, $400. It was a small amount of money that she was willing, I guess, to, to sell her child for. I don't know. But, um, you know, I really didn't understand all of the things that we thought were God kisses and the timing of it. It felt like a cruel joke. And I felt wondered at times if God was the one playing the joke. And um, it was really intense and heartbreaking to, you know, have, have had all these years of serving the Lord and obeying him for things just to go so really poorly. We were heartbroken, to say the least. Well, I mean, Laura, that's that's a heartbreaking story. And as you said, you must have been wondering, why, God, did you let me down that road to end in disappointment? Um, I mean, how did you get through that? That's That's crushing. I mean, that's crushing disappointment. It was crushing. It was devastating. Um... I went through probably the darkest night of my soul. <laughs> um, it was even more difficult than when my father had passed away from a brain tumor. And I think, Jody, it was the accumulative disappointments, right? You know, okay, I didn't get married till I was, you know, or, you know, okay, my, my, my dad has passed away. And um, when I do finally get married at, you know, the age of 32, my father's not there to walk me down the aisle. That's huge disappointment for a woman, you know, and um, we it just, we get married and we have difficulties, difficulty, you know, I'm like, I was like, that's like, whoa, God. And then this like adoption heartache, it was like a, it was like a miscarriage of our hearts. Really. Oh yeah. And so I said, I, again, I'm all in or, or not. So I was like, I'm, I'm taking a break. And I um, went to the Lord with my anger. There are lots of times where I yelled at the Lord out loud. There are times where I was silent, but I, I couldn't go to church and just be like, oh, everything's fine. Um, also there, everybody was getting pregnant at that time at my church. Everybody, it was in the water. People were getting pregnant. I mean, people who had just gotten married were getting pregnant. People who, you know, I'm like, ah, so I, I just went through a deep wrestling with the Lord for nine months and I would come home and Gabe would know that if I had my bathrobe on at the end of the day, when he came home from work at five o'clock, it was a bad day. And, um, and there are many days he came home and my bathrobe was still on, you know? <laughs> and, um, I just, so finally, I, I think it was like eight or nine months. I realized like, um, I really missed the Lord and I can't give you the silent treatment forever. And it's kind of like Peter says, well, Lord, where are we going to go? Because only you have the words of life. And I was like, what am I going to do? I'm not going to backslide. I'm not going to turn my back on you. I'm just really disappointed in you right now. And um, But I missed his presence because I'm a worshiper and I was created to worship. So finally, 
I just said, okay, Lord, if you never do this thing for me, if you never, you know, if I never feel a baby move in my womb, if I never, you know, I, you're enough for me and I love you and I miss worshiping you. And, um, sorry, I'm like all congested now cause I'm crying so much. <laughs> uh, this was eight, this was nine years ago. And it's amazing how something like that can still affect and your heart can still be moved, you know, because just the feeling. So anyway, I, uh, find, I said, okay, Lord, fine. I don't understand your ways. That old, the Rita Springer song, you know, I don't understand your ways, but I'm going to, I'm going to worship you anyway. And I took a deep breath and I, I just, I had, I was done with my temper tantrum basically, you know? So I said, okay, Lord, I'm, I'm yours. And, and about a week later, I got a, a ministry invitation to Australia to to preach at a women's conference and I did and there were babies everywhere and I was able to hold them and love them and not want to punch the moms in the face you know the because the, they and I came home and um I was like all right Lord I belong to you and I you don't owe me an explanation and that that's yeah so yeah I mean when you finally just let it all out um God brought in that healing and and as you went off to minister again, God had a beautiful surprise for you. Yeah. Shortly did. after you got back from Australia. Tell us about it. Yeah. So I went to Australia. I had a great ministry time. I was like, okay, Lord, that's awesome. I came home and about, I had been actually asked by Dutch Sheets, Sheets to preach at Christ for the Nations on the issue of abortion to do a teaching on it. So I'm happily, absolutely, you know, I'm back, she's back, you know. So I went into the teaching and I was under uh, what I perceived to be a great amount of demonic attack in my mind because I was preaching, but I was having a really difficult time focusing, articulating words. I was like, in the name of Jesus, whatever demonic, you know, because it's kind of an intense topic to talk about. Um, And then the next day I realized, like, I was so tired. And it wasn't a demonic attack after all. It was just pregnancy brain, (laughs) foggy brain fog that happens when you're hormonal. And I just got pregnant, like miraculously. We had quit trying and I was pregnant and in utter and complete shock, uh, dumbfounded and just like, wait, this is, it was just wild and joyous and what you know it's so beautiful yeah yeah so you know friends there are children all over the world who are without parents orphans who need to experience the tangible expression of god's love right now many have special needs that we as a company of women we can meet together would you consider joining us with a special gift to help just go to hergodstory.org and click on the widow and orphan tab at the top of the page So Laura, God had the joy of motherhood waiting for you all along, but he wanted to make sure that he would always hold first place in your life. Mm -hmm. So when Evangeline came, Mm -hmm. you were able to fully enjoy his amazing gift without putting, making her an idol. Right. Share what God showed you in those first years at home with her. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I becoming pregnant or being a mom had become an idol and I, I didn't, I didn't realize that I, um, you know, there are studies, medical studies that show that women who are struggling with infertility 
have as much stress as a woman who's been diagnosed with cancer um, because it's so intense. But I think the Lord took me through that whole journey to go, okay, am I enough? Just me. Am I enough for you? Um, And so being, you know, I, I'm great. I turned 40 years old and had Evangeline one month later. So it was the best 40th birthday present ever. Um, And I just think I have enjoyed just the gift of who she is, um, giving her back to the Lord right away and knowing that, you know, what a treasure she is. And I think, you know, honestly, being advanced of advanced maternal age and having a baby, they call it a geriatric, geriatric pregnancy. Um, (laughs) That's literally what they call it. Um, It's made me a better mom because I more have more wisdom. I'm more at peace. And um, it's just been such a gift. The Lord does have my best interest at heart. And I know that even no matter what lies ahead in my life, the ups and downs that the Lord, you know, he, he, he loves his kids and he has our best interest at heart. So motherhood has been a hoot. It's been so fun. And I love every minute of it nearly every minute of it. In those early years, God even um, gave you an idea for a business slash ministry to moms. What was that about? Yeah. So I, I um, end up just ministering to women and people, like no matter what I do, <laughs> it ends up that way. But it was actually a national franchise out of San Diego. It was called Fit for Mom. It was a, a workout um business where moms would come with their strollers and their little babies to parks and we would work out together and sing songs and like entertain the babies while the moms worked out and it ended up being a ministry to a lot of those moms in young motherhood um and led that ministry or that that ministry that business for a few years and it was successful and the lord just blessed it and it's just a really sweet time um in our lives and, you know, in our, in a ministry really. Yeah. So then at just the right time, God broadened your call again. Um, how did he do that? And, and how has being a mom equipped you for this next ministry season? Well, I, um, it was right before the shutdown, before the COVID shutdown, um, February of 2020 that I got a phone call from my pastor and said, um, our young adult pastor is, the current you know, pastor is juggling quite a bit and, and would you be interested in taking this position? And I was a little bit surprised just because I'm old enough to be most of the young adults, like I'm their, their mom's age. And most young adult pastors are young and cool and, you know, like in their thirties and can relate. And I'm like, Oh, I don't know. Um, but I, I felt the Lord say, yeah, like do this, you know, go ahead and, and take on this position. So I did, I've been doing it since 2020 now at Trinity church in Cedar Hill. Um, Trinity young adults is, has been, this has been one of the greatest seasons of ministry, for in my life. I've just loved pouring into and discipling young adults. Um, and we've just grown and experienced revival and encounters with the Lord. And, you know, um, to be able to have such a, um, an impactful, be an impactful voice in this season of their lives. Young adulthood is when you're making the biggest decisions That'll affect the trajectory of your life, who you're going to marry, where you're going to go to school, all those Rebecca potential Rebecca moments of obedience that will lead you, you know, so being able to disciple them in this season of their lives 
um, is just such an honor. And, um, and many of them, too many of them, I am like a spiritual mom and it's been intense. It's had a lot of very intense moments. This generation is definitely very different. Even the church young adults are very different than when we grew up um, just because of the the spirit of this age. So um, I have just done my best to love them well and point them to Jesus. And my aspiration is that they will be loyal lovers of Jesus for the rest of their lives. And saying yes to that young adult ministry positioned you to experience what I can only describe as a kiss from heaven. Um, when Roe v. Wade was overturned, share share just about how that all came. I mean, what that did for you, where you were and and that just how how that was meaningful to you. He's so amazing. God is so sweet. And he, you know, if you for those that heard my story earlier, I um was a part of um pro-life movement for a while, the back to life law and since childhood. So that was one of the God assignments that God had given me for my life. And the other was young adult ministry with the young adult women's ministry that I did you know, when I was still single for seven years and now continuing to do young adult ministry now. And then this assignment to pray for revival in Norway. Those are kind of like my three big life assignments they have been, um, you know, so far. I'm, I'm almost, I'm 49. So, you know, that's up to this point. Those are the big three things that God's given me in my life. Um, and so I took a group of my young adult leaders to Norway last summer to descend, to witness the move of God that is happening in Norway now that, you know, 20 plus years ago, it just, the the nation, the landscape of the nation spiritually didn't look this way. So I, I'm like, there was, the send was happening there in Norway. So we went to the send there in Oslo and, um, you know, evangelizing and ministering there. And, um, we're in a park and I'm, I know that this case is coming up that could potentially overturn Roe. And so I'm sitting in the park, um, surrounded by young adults in Norway, refreshing the SCOTUS website to see the ruling when I refresh. And then there it is, like Roe v. Wade has been brought down, which, you know, I, all I've known my whole life is abortion legalized. And so it was just like, like a Goliath, Goliath coming down, like for sure. And so it was in Norway, surrounded by young adults that this ruling is made. So it's like all, all these three big assignments culminating in this one moment. And I just, all I could do was just put my head down and just weep. And um, it was just such a beautiful kiss from the Lord that he would have me there in that moment with those people for that time. So oh, sweet. only God could do that. Only, only God could arrange that. So Laura, you talked about, you know, the young adult ministry, these younger generations growing up in a very, very different time than, than, I mean, I'm a bit older than you even than you know, the generations when we were growing up, um, what, what truths do you see are really being vital part of the younger generations I mean, they're kind of growing up in this post-Christian era. Mm-hmm. They've experienced some really hard things at young ages mm-hmm. and they've seen things they were mm-hmm. never, God never intended them to see. Mm-hmm. What do they need to hear? What are those bedrock truths? Because I mean, there might be some from the younger generation listening. They need mm-hmm. to hear this truth. Or it might be parents of of young adults who yeah. need to know, you know, what what are they dealing with? What can yeah. I pray? What can I speak over them that would 
that would be light. That would be life to them. Yes. Um, you know, I, we had, I had some friends, Caitlin and Kulzik from Moral Revolution. Um, it's a purity movement out of Bethel Church in Reading. They came to the young adults and we did kind of a panel with them. And they were the first that I heard say this, but they, they said, um, first of all, this generation deals with shame. And the reason for that shame, one of the main reasons is their access to pornography at such a young age. And statistics now show that Gen Z, the average initial introduction to pornography is between the ages of eight and 10 is most common. And so when you're looking at 200 young adults, that's how many come on Mondays. I'm looking across 200 young adults and the majority of them at the age of eight or nine or 10 years old experienced or saw for the first time because of the digital age, you know, pornography, they said your whole generation has been assaulted essentially because you were a child seeing things that you shouldn't have seen as a minor. So when you look at it from that perspective, that most of the generation has been exposed and there's that, that paradigm that they're having to overcome coupled with radical, radical individualism message, whatever feels good, do it, follow your heart, be who you are. You know, that's, that's the happiest you're going to be is what it's that, that's that message. Radical individualism is contrary to the word of God, complete opposite. So those things together um, have caused a lot of confusion. So what I try to share with my young adults is that the word of God is unchanging and it is true truth. And in a culture that is trying to pull you into all sorts of things, what you need to know is the word of God. Um, and one thing that I think that the climate, um, the, the, the upside now to what the church has um, adopted or, or not adopted because it's truth, but has awakened to is um, the acceptance of the Lord of over us as his children, no matter what state we're in, that he loves us, that there's nothing we can do to make him love us less, or there's nothing we can do to make him love us more. But in the religious culture that we grew up in, Jody, you and I, it was all based on works and deeds. And whenever we were sinning, it it would also provoke our thought of like, God doesn't love me as much, right? So my thing is like letting them know, listen, the Lord loves you the same today as he ever will. It's the choices you make, though, that will either let you enter in and, and know the love of God fully, you know, or not. So I think uh, teaching them to know the word of God, teaching them that the Lord is not a tyrant, that he truly loves them. Um, but but walking in obedience and walking according to the word of God is where you're going to have your most fulfilled life ever. Amen. Well, Laura, you've got so much to offer. It's going to be exciting to see what God does with you in the next 10 to 20 years. Um, but as we close, what share another woman in the Bible who's inspired or encouraged or taught you something? I wrestled with this because there's so many amazing women in the Bible. Um, but I really felt like the Holy Spirit said, tell them, remind them about the Shulamite and the Song of Solomon. Now, this will make me weep and I probably will weep because my heart is so tender right now because I'm sharing my story again. Um, thank you for letting me share my story. It reminds me of just the faithfulness of God in my life. And it just tenderizes my heart. But I love the Shulamite woman in the Song of Solomon because it starts off right away. Song of Solomon, verse chapter one, verse four. 
says, draw me after you and let us run together. It's her cry, Jesus, draw me after you. I want to run with you. I don't want to run apart from you. I want to run with you. It's her tenderness to her bridegroom throughout the book that inspires me in my love for Jesus. When I when I see myself as the Shulamite and I see Jesus as my bridegroom who calls me, who loves me, who woos me, who's running after me, who's drawing me to him. I love uh, chapter two, verse one, uh, chapter two, verse four. I just I'm not going to try to preach a message here, but I just want to highlight a couple of things. Chapter two, verse four, where she says, his banner over me is love. He's pulled me to his banqueting table, her tenderness. Chapter three, where she says, when I find the one that my soul loves, I'm not going to let go of him. But then she does because she's frail and weak. So just the tension of loves, loves full heart, but also you know, I am going to let go of him, but I'm going to come back to him. You know, just, I just love the picture of her tenderness of the courtship and running from God, but the progression of coming back to the Lord and the tenderness that her and the bridegroom share. And it was really learning the book of Song of Solomon and applying it to my life when I was 25 years old that awakened my journey to the Lord in such a deeper, intimate way. Um, that I just, I would love for all of the listeners to see themselves in that picture and to see themselves as in chapter eight, verse five, when he says, who is this coming out of the desert, leaning on her beloved? And I feel like that's been, Ooh, Hey, they're going to cry, but that's been, you know, my story. We've been through some desert, my lover and I, you know, the bridegroom and I but I, I came out of the desert and I'm leaning on him. And so she inspires me and teaches me how to lean into the Lord and to keep a fresh, awake heart to the lover of my soul. So mine's the Shulamite. Amen. You know, we don't often equate joy with the refiner's fire, <laughs> but those who pass through it, like Laura and like the Shunammite woman, realize that the dross God removes from their lives in the process was holding them back from a greater joy and a greater peace and a greater life in Christ. And if we embrace that process and let God have his way, he will do even greater things in and through us. And those greater things aren't necessarily taking you to Africa and dropping you down in the middle of somewhere. It's It can be allowing you to share Jesus with the person next to you and your neighbor and seeing their life transformed. God's great works are accessible because he invites us into them. Laura, would you take a minute and pray for our listeners? I would love to. I just feel the tenderness of the Lord over those who are listening, even though we're recording now and it may not, we don't know when the listeners will be listening. It could be weeks from now. It could be months from now, but I feel the tenderness of the Lord over you right now, dear listener. And I just bless you with the tenderness of heart back toward your God, your maker. I just pray that your heart would be alive and tender to his voice, that you would hear him, that you would listen, that you would accept the invitation for the God adventure, that you would be like the Shulamite woman in 
Song of Solomon, chapter 8, verse 5, that even though you go through a desert, you're going to be leaning on the one that you love. So, Lord Jesus, Christ Jesus, man Jesus, who died and paid the price for us to be intimate with you, to be one with you, would you come and draw us and let us run together with you? God, I pray for those who are hurting, who are weary, who are tired, even broken. Oh God, that they would feel, Lord, a glimmer, your hope rising up within them, that they would be reassured, Lord, that you have their best interest at heart. And God, uh, no matter what their life holds, Lord, that you are going to just pull them in, God, and and pour your love and your healing over them. Lord, bless those that are listening. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you for tuning in. Check out our show notes at hergodstory.org for scriptures, links, and other information. And you can sign up for emails there and download a free six-week devotional book on Women of the Bible. Or purchase a 12-week devotional on Women of the Bible for just $12, knowing that all the proceeds go to the Widow and Orphan Fund. And if God spoke to you through this episode, think about starting a podcast club. You can have friends, neighbors, and colleagues listen to it and then gather around your favorite refreshments to discuss what God is saying to each of you. We have suggested questions online at hergodstory.org under the podcast club section to help you. And if you need prayer, call or text us at 855-459-CARE or email us at prayer at somebodycares.org. And now, dear friends, I bless you from Psalm 115, verses 14 and 15. May the Lord cause you to flourish, and may you be blessed by Him, your Maker, who is the Maker of heaven and earth. Her God Story is a ministry of Somebody Cares America and International. To find out more about or support the ministry, go to somebodycares.org.